0: Good morning. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Harbor. And this morning we are continuing our series on the life of David, searching for a king. And our sermon text comes from two passages. The first one is in 1 Samuel, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And the second is from 2 Samuel. That's a different book. 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. And the reason for that is because the events that are described in 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17 are actually talking about things that happened during the same period of time as the passage from 1 Samuel 22. If you're with me on that, uh, please stand that we might honor the reading of God's Word. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And continuing in Second Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So what are you thirsty for this morning? What are you thirsty for in life? What would it be that would most satisfy the deepest longings of your soul? Let me ask you this. Where does belonging to a community rank among your deepest longings? Or Maybe if I can put it the opposite way, How do you feel about being alone? Columnist Amanda Anayati writes this about our need for belonging. In a column for CNN's blog, she says, As humans, we need to belong to one another, to our friends and families, to our culture and country, to our world. Belonging is primal, fundamental to our sense of happiness and well-being. And then, citing a 2007 study by Yale sociology professor Gregory Walton, she continues, Belonging is a psychological lever that has broad consequences, writes Walton. Our interests, motivations, health, and happiness are inextricably tied to the feeling that we belong to a greater community that shares our common interests and aspirations. By contrast, Isolation, loneliness, and low social status can harm a person's subjective sense of well-being, as well as his or her intellectual achievement, immune function, and health. Research shows that even a single instance of exclusion can undermine well-being, IQ test performance, and self-control. So to sum up, our experience of community affects our overall well being, our physical and mental health, and even our job performance. Community is not just a Christian idea. Everyone, from sociologists to economists to social media experts, recognizes the value of community. Do you? What all these people have noticed is that Americans today tend to feel more isolated and lonely than ever before. You can't pick up a single current book on how to do church ministry that doesn't make building community the center, the major theme of that book. Sociologists everywhere study what contributes to community and how it is that we can find it. Movie and TV producers are desperate to create it. To create a show that makes the people watching feel like they're part of a community. In the 80s, it was the TV show Cheers. Everybody remember that? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, dun-dun-dun, and they're always glad you came, dun-dun-dun, you want to go where you can see, troubles are all the same, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Remember that? The place where everybody knows your name. And of course, in the 1990s, the show Friends came on the scene. But remember the chorus? I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall. I'll be there for you. Cause you've been through it all. I'll be there for you. Cause you're there for me too. (sighs) They're just crazy to make you feel like you thank you very much. (laughs) Now you're awake. They desperately want you to believe that by watching the show, you are a part of the community. And it's not just something from the 80s and 90s. Since the year 2000, there have been six X-Men movies, actually seven if you count The Wolverine, and together, these seven films have grossed over $2.8 billion worldwide. Now, in one sense... The X-Men franchise is just another entry into the crowded field of superhero movies. But something particular about the X-Men movies is that they have this major theme that too often we have the feeling that somehow we're left out. Something about us makes us feel different. Other people call us freaks or are afraid of us, but there's one man Charles Xavier, or Professor X, as he's also called, who provides a place for these mutants where they can belong, where they can fit in, a school they can go to to learn how to use their gifts for the good of others. In essence, he gives them a community to belong to. Marketing agencies tap into this all the time. In a recent campaign this year, Coca-Cola tapped into our longing for community by targeting college freshmen. What they did is, during the first week of school, they put a refrigerated display case filled with bottles of Coke, and it was free. Just open the door and take the Coke. But the trick was that the bottles all had a special cap that a single person could not open. The only way to get the bottle open was two people had to actually come together talk to each other and figure out together where they put their bottle caps together and twisted it that they could open the bottle and satisfy their thirst. And Coke is playing on this idea that when you get to college, you don't know anybody. You're all alone, and you're desperate for community, and they're just there to help you along. One of the reasons why meaningful community is so hard to come by And why we so often feel alone is that we both long for community, and at the same time, we're a little bit leery of it. Because real community means that we have to let other people know us as we really are. Real community means that we have to give of ourselves for the good of the community. Real community means that we have to admit to ourselves that we need other people that we can't make it on our own. And if you have been hurt by others, real community means running the risk that you might be hurt again. But the only alternative is to be alone, to live in isolation, to never belong, and to never know love. C.S. Lewis once wrote that the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love, is hell. And that's exactly what you create for yourself when you live in isolation instead of choosing to live in community. Well, in our passage this morning, David is all alone, hiding in the cave, and in the midst of that loneliness, in the midst of his isolation, God gives him a community. We're going to look together this morning at three aspects of the redemptive community that God gives to David. And the first thing I want for us to see is the surprising nature of that redemptive community. Notice in the passage who it is that gathers to David. In verse 1, we learn that it's his brothers, the people from his father's household. Now, we I don't think we preach this passage, but earlier in the story, and actually the account of the of David and Goliath, um, when David asks, hey, what shall be done for the person who engages Goliath in battle? His brothers mock him. They sneer at him. They say, what are you up to? What are you really all about? They are the older brothers. He's the younger brother. He gets no love. He gets no respect. And probably the reason why they're coming to David in our passage this morning is because if David's life's in danger from Saul, then their lives might be too. And so they're probably just coming out of fear and out of a desire for protection. Look in verse 2. It goes on to tell us that those in distress gathered to David, those in debt, probably people who had experienced uh, oppression, and finally those who are bitter in soul. All of these people put together make up a motley crew, a ragtag band. In other words, the community that God gives David is made up of poor, needy, broken people. Is that what it is that you look for in a community? Most of the time, we tend to avoid needy people like the plague. We're just afraid we're going to be overwhelmed by their neediness. But the truth is, that we're all needy and broken. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. You, maybe you know in your heart that you're needy, that you're broken, but you don't want anyone else to know. So when someone walks up and says, hey, how are you doing today? You say, I'm fine, hoping that they won't figure it out. Or you say to yourself, well, I just don't want to be a burden to anyone, so I won't tell anyone else how I'm really doing. Others of you are good at hiding your neediness. You're so good at it that you hide it completely from yourself. You're the ones who say, I don't need anybody else. I have things under control. Because you see neediness as a sign of weakness. And you don't do weakness. Congratulations. As Zach said earlier, you've found your king. What God provides in a redemptive community... Is a group of people who know that they're needy and are available to the others who are in need. It's a very crazy, upside-down way of thinking about community. When we feel that longing for community, that longing for a place to belong, this isn't how we would have designed it. Why would God do things this way? Well, Paul answers that question for us in his letter to the Corinthian church, where he says, When was the last time you saw a church sign that right underneath their name, their slogan was Home of the Foolish, the Weak, the Low, and the Despised? And if you did see that church, would you dare to set foot inside the place? Maybe instead you're looking for a church that has a sign that reads Home of the Bold and the Beautiful. A church filled with perfect, pristine people who look like they have just walked out of their photo shoot for the cover of Rockwall Living magazine. If that's what you're after, then you may not be comfortable being a part of Jesus' community. The poor, the sick, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. These are the people that flock to Jesus. Not the Pharisees because they had it all together. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would even be willing to be a part of this kind of community. So he explained it to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And by saying that, he wasn't saying that the Pharisees were righteous and didn't need him. He was saying... They think they're righteous, and therefore they think they have no need of him. None of us is untouched by the brokenness of the world. It reaches down into the depths of our hearts and shows up in corruption and hurt and sin and brokenness that dwells there. And we're only going to be willing to be part of a redemptive community for broken people when we're ready to admit our own brokenness. Will you admit your need to yourself and to others? When somebody asks you on a Sunday morning, how are you doing? Are you going to lie and say you're doing great? Or can you be truthful and say, I'm really hurting? Will you accept others who are needy? If somebody tells you that they're going through a hard time, do you quickly change the subject? Or are you willing to show them the same compassion that Jesus has for you? Part of our mission that we talk about all the time here at Trinity Harbor is to heal the broken. All of us know brokenness in our lives, and all of us are called to participate in healing the broken. You don't have to be a pastor a counselor. You don't have to have any answers to be able to give advice. All you have to do is to be willing to hurt with those who hurt. Why is accepting this kind of redemptive community so hard for us? What would happen if we actually tried to truly live it out? Well, here's how Dan Allender puts it. what would happen is that immediately we would be a mess. First of all, we wouldn't know what we were doing. Second, we wouldn't know how to talk with others in light of faith, hope, and love. Third, we wouldn't have the time. Fourth, we wouldn't get along. Our histories would conflict. Our dreams would not be the same. Our ways of engagement would ruffle each other's feathers. To make it work, we would have to pray, confess, repent, forgive, and fight on with people as diverse as Matthew, who was a tax gatherer and a lackey of the state, and Simon, a zealot, a terrorist committed to the destruction of the government. In other words, the only thing that could possibly make such a redemptive community of diverse, broken, sinful, needy people work is if, that, like the disciples, we were all willing to follow Jesus together and to learn from His example. If you think that being part of a community of brokenness means having to listen to a bunch of complainers that just can't seem to get their act together as easily as you can, then you're going to struggle with the community that God wants to give to you. Because it's the community that needs you And it's the community that you need far more than you realize. Because it's really the community that you belong to as well. The surprising nature of the redemptive community that God gives us is that it's made up of broken, needy people who are bound together by Christ's love. The second thing we want to look at this morning We see in our passage is the solidarity that we experience in redemptive community. In 1st, excuse me, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, there's actually a long list of various exploits of David's mighty men. And verses through 13 through 17 in particular describe how the community that God gave to David functioned for him. So let's look at some things here. We know that David is on the run. He's hiding out from Saul, and he's in a cave. But at least now he's not alone. He has a community. And so when someone asks him, Hey, David, how are you doing? He doesn't lie and say, I'm fine. He says, I'm thirsty. And he admits that he misses the comforts of home, particularly the water from the well of his hometown in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is actually only about 20 miles away from the cave that's at Adullam. But the problem is that Bethlehem, at this point in time, is where the Philistine army has set up their camp. There is no chance of getting any water from the well because it is so heavily guarded. And David would never order his men to risk their lives just to satisfy his thirst. He's just expressing his wish aloud. But for these three men, members of the community that God gave him, they are so devoted to David, they experience such solidarity with him that they consider his wish to be their command. And so immediately they leave, they make the journey to Bethlehem, and they fight their way through the Philistine army so that they can get the water from the well that David craves and bring it back to him, and to give David what his heart desires. It's just an amazing demonstration of their devotion and their solidarity with David. Don't you just long to be in David's shoes? Don't you want to belong to a community, to have people in your life who are so dedicated to your good, That the moment that they sense that you have a need, they immediately take action to meet that need for your benefit. Don't you want that? But of course, what makes it a redemptive community for David is the hearts of these three mighty men. They're the ones who demonstrate solidarity. They love him because he's already taken risks to rescue them from the Philistines in the past. They're devoted to him because he has demonstrated his devotion to them. Together, they're brothers in arms. That's the kind of community that we all want to be a part of. But if you long for that kind of community, what are you willing to do for that community? You want solidarity from your brothers and sisters? How do you demonstrate your solidarity with them? Do you inspire devotion in the people that know that know you because of how you love and serve them? Or do you use the people in your life, your family and your friends, for your own personal benefit? Do you call other people in the church when you need something and are looking for help? Or do you make it a habit of calling the people in the church that you think might need some help? so that you can provide it for them. There's a remarkable contrast between these two ways of thinking about community in John chapter 12. A week before Jesus' death, he's invited to a dinner in his honor given by his good friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They are his devoted friends, and he is devoted to them. He's already raised Lazarus from the dead, and so they wish to express their devotion to him, by inviting him to a dinner in his honor. And then after dinner, Mary takes a a pound, a large quantity of extremely expensive ointment, worth almost a year's wages. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet, anointing them, and she wipes his feet with her hair, so that the fragrance fills the whole room. It is an extravagant show of her commitment to him and her solidarity with him. The most expensive thing she has, she gives for him. That's not the way Judas Iscariot saw it. He grumbles at this and asks, why wasn't this sold for a year's wages so the money could be given to the poor? Well, of course, we know that he didn't care about the poor at all. He had a habit of helping himself to the money bag, so when he's watching this oil, this ointment being poured out on Jesus' feet, he doesn't see it as an expression of solidarity. What he sees is an opportunity for personal benefit slipping through his fingers. Judas didn't give himself to others, not even to Jesus. He used others for his own personal benefit. If you long for community, then you have to be willing to give your community what you want from them in return. Jesus gave himself freely and fully to his community and inspired their devotion. Only when you understand what Jesus has done for you will you be willing to give to his community what you long to experience yourself. And the beauty of the redemptive community gives us is that we can express our devotion to Jesus by expressing our devotion to one another because Jesus said whatever you do for the least of these you do to me it's only when each of us demonstrates our devotion to Jesus and our solidarity with the community that he gives us that we can truly experience the church as God created it to be a redemptive community that Jesus gave his life to establish And of course, participating in that kind of redemptive community requires sacrifice. And that's the third thing we see in our passage this morning, the sacrifice of redemptive community. David's men sacrifice their comfort and safety in order to satisfy David's thirst. Now, at this point in the story, a little explanation is required because David's response to their heroic service uh, sort of hits wrong at our modern sensibilities. When the men bring him the very water that he longed for, he refuses to drink it. Instead, he pours it out on the ground. Now, most of us probably, when we read that for the first time, think, well, that was kind of rude. Uh, they risked their lives to get in this water, and he won't even drink it? How ungrateful is this guy? What is wrong with him? And I have to say that the reason that we think that is because we don't share an ancient Near Easterner's sense that certain things and certain actions are sacred. We don't have a sense of the sacredness of things in the same way that they did. David's not ungrateful. He's more than grateful. He is overwhelmed by their sacrifice. that they would risk his lives just to satisfy his thirst. What he gets that we have trouble with is that drinking this water at this point would be to treat it too lightly. This water is precious. It is holy. He's not simply going to drink it to satisfy his own thirst. Instead, he honors his men because they have honored him. And he treats offering to him as a sacred offering devoted to the Lord. And as he pours it out onto the ground, he sends that water to a place where no one can profane it, can desecrate it. He returns it to the earth for the Lord's benefit, saying, this water is too precious to drink. I'm not the kind of leader who lords it over his men and treats their sacrifices lightly. By treating this water as something sacred, David is saying to them, my life is not worth more than your life, and my blood is not worth more than your blood. The men sacrifice their safety to honor David, and David sacrifices the satisfaction of his own thirst so that he can honor his men. We all long for a community where we feel a sense of belonging, where we know that we're respected and valued and loved. What are you willing to sacrifice to be a part of such a community? The honest truth is that most of us aren't really willing to sacrifice very much. We hold our time, our money, and our emotional energy with clenched fists. When personal conversations start to get uncomfortable, we make for the nearest exit. But what makes the church a redemptive community is that it is built on sacrifice. Members of the community sacrifice themselves for one another. They accept their own suffering so that others can experience respect and honor and love, and the joy of belonging. Earlier I mentioned that a major theme of the X-Men movies was finding a sense of community, a place of belonging. Well, in the most recent film that came out a few weeks ago, I'm not going to tell you the ending, mostly, all this community is in jeopardy because their fearless leader, Charles Xavier, has suffered uh, great loss. He's experienced a debilitating accident um, where he loses the, the ability to walk. And two of his closest friends betray him. And he's in such overwhelming physical and emotional pain that he can't stand it. And so he's developed, with the help of a friend, a medication that he can take. And he medicates himself constantly so that he doesn't have to feel the pain But the only problem is that although the medicine takes his pain away, it also takes away what made him who he was. It takes away his psychic abilities. It takes away the very thing that was his gift that he used to create this community. And as a result, he ends up alone and miserable. And at a key moment, a friend tries to persuade him to stop medicating himself. Charles, he says, your community needs you. And Charles says, I can't. I can't endure the pain. I'm not willing to do it. And so his friend tells him that the only way to deal with the pain of such great loss is to accept it, to be willing to experience it, and to endure it. Charles's sacrifice, his willingness to suffer, is the very thing that enables him to create the community that desperately needs him. The greatest gift he has, his friend tells him, is the strength to bear their pain without breaking. In short, his friend is telling him, that only by being willing to sacrifice himself can he give others the gift of community. It's a gift that we all want, but we're reluctant to give ourselves. So let me ask you, how often are you willing to make financial sacrifices to put others' needs ahead of your own? How often are you willing to sacrifice your own personal comfort to spend time with a friend who needs you? How much of your free time is spent on meeting other people's needs rather than looking for more ways to satisfy yourself? Redemptive community is built on the foundation of sacrifice. David had these friends that poured out their lives for him, And that's why he equates drinking the water with drinking their blood. He couldn't do it, because he knew that he wasn't worthy to drink of the cup because it represented their lifeblood. He was moved by their sacrifice on his behalf. David sounds pretty great. So if David's so great, why do we need another king, a better king? So far in our series, he sounds like a pretty good role model, But David doesn't always remain faithful to God or faithful to his own people. Eventually, like all of us, he does put his desires ahead of the needs of the community, using others for his personal gain. And his greatest failures will come come from his unwillingness to sacrifice himself for the sake of his people. We need a better king than David. We need a king who sacrificed for us meets us in our place of greatest need. (laughs) I said that David refused to drink the cup of his men's sacrifice because he was not worthy of their blood. But Jesus was offered a different cup to drink. Jesus was offered the cup of God's wrath that we deserved. He was willing to sacrifice himself by drinking our cup in our place. When Jesus drinks that cup, he pours out his life as a sacrifice and says to each and every one of us, my life is not worth more than your life. My blood is not worth more than your blood. He drank the cup of sacrifice so that you could drink streams of living water forever. Friends, drinking from Jesus' living water is what frees you up to drink from the cup of sacrifice. It's what frees you to give your money to the benevolence fund. It's what frees you to minister to the poor in India. Otherwise, when you see that kind of poverty, you would just be overwhelmed. It's what frees you to cry with people who are really hurting the living water that Jesus gives you is the only thing that can satisfy the deepest longings of your own soul and free you from living for yourself. In our passage, David's men took it to heart when they discovered that their king was thirsty. Friends, Jesus, your king, is thirsty today. When Jesus hung on a cross, he said, I thirst. And those words, Jesus said, I thirst, are written in huge letters across the top of the home for the sick and dying in the Kaligat region, right next to the Kali temple in the city of Calcutta. And the reason those words are there is because Mother Teresa took seriously that Jesus said, whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him. Jesus thirsted, and she longed to satisfy his thirst. She would later write, I look forward to the day in heaven when I can thank God for giving me the poor to allow me to love him so much. You see, Jesus is thirsty. What his soul longs for It's you. Are you thirsty this morning? Will you look to him to satisfy your deepest longings? And are you willing to partake in the cup of sacrifice to give yourself to him and to the broken and needy people all around you? Because as it turns out, we need the poor and the needy more than they need us because they remind us how truly needy we really are. The story of the Bible is the story of God redeeming a needy people through his solidarity with them, expressed by his willingness to sacrifice for them. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of David and his men. And that's the story of Christ and his church. Are you willing this morning to let that be your story too? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the profound way in which you demonstrate your love for us. As we look at David and his men and see an example of devotion and solidarity and sacrifice, uh, Father, we recognize that Jesus sacrificed his own very life. He gave up uh, all that he had and all that he was so that we could have everything. Father, we pray that you would soften our hard hearts. We pray that you would cultivate in us a sense of our own need, a longing to show compassion to the needy all around us. And we pray that we would demonstrate love, and solidarity, and that we would sacrifice ourselves to serve them just as Jesus did for us. Father, would you make Trinity Harbor Church that kind of redemptive community? Would you help each one of us to sacrifice ourselves so that others can experience the joy of belonging? And would we find the same here, and in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers come forward to collect this morning's offering, offer up your hearts and your minds to God.